This episode is sponsored by How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. This is the most important course I have ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes to your children and drinking. How to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness. And what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink. And so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and I am answering readers' questions. And the first question is, hey, Annie, what do you think about all of the psychedelics and different drugs that are coming into the conversation around anxiety and depression and even addiction? And I love this question so much. So my firm response to how I like to think about things, like the filters that I put things through are twofold, right? Number one is my own experience, something that I've had personal experience with. And number two is scientific studies. So if I haven't had personal experience with it, I actually go and I try to find um, scientific basis or evidence for it. And if, if those two things are true or one of those two things are true, then it's something I feel like is something I can share and I can share publicly. And I take it very seriously that like I now have, you know, such a platform and an audience, you know, this podcast itself has gotten almost 20 million downloads. That's a humongous amount of, of downloads and just a lot of people, even the alcohol experiment, you know, close to 500,000 people have gone through the alcohol experiment, which if you haven't yet, it's always free at alcoholexperiment.com. Um, a great way to kind of just reset no matter where you are. So anyway, this, this question is something that I am really interested in. And in fact, I've been in talks with my publisher and my agent and about a new book that I'm thinking about, you know, that I'm going to put together a proposal for, and it's going to be called Naked AF. I think that's going to be the title at least, or, or live Naked AF or get Naked AF or something like that. But AF is not what you think. It's alcohol-free, so we can get our heads out of the gutter. But here's the reality is that I think that all of these topics should be explored. And this book is going to be intended to really be a guide to that first year of getting AF, right? Of what does that look like? How do we navigate those firsts? So many things come up with the first year, you know, our first wedding, our first all-inclusive vacation, our first time we have sober sex, all of those firsts. And all of those things come up and we need to navigate through and, and experience those things for the first time. But also there's questions that come up that, you know, I haven't talked about in a really deep way yet, which is like, well, what about marijuana? Like marijuana obviously is much, much safer. They still don't have like, to my knowledge, a confirmed case of death to marijuana, but is it just switching one addiction for another? Is it physically safer, but are there all these other downsides? Like, what about that conversation? That's, that's a conversation I'm really interested in exploring in this book. And then of course, the conversation that this reader is asking, what about all of these psychedelics? Now, I think that it is fascinating to me and it's not really commonly well-known. And, but from my understanding, I believe that the science has shown me and let me find my source. All right, so according to my research, in 1909, there was a man, his name was Dr. Alexander Lambert, 
And he had said that he'd found this surefire cure for alcoholism, right? And he stated that the treatment was like less than five days. And the therapy was this mixture of belladonna, which is a hallucinogenic and a bunch of other things. Okay. And he actually, this doctor, Dr. Lambert was known as Theodore Roosevelt's personal physician. He was also a professor at Cornell Medical College and an expert on alcoholism. And so he said he, he got this recipe and from a man named Charles B. Towns, who claimed to have learned it from a country doctor. Anyway, Towns opened a substance abuse hospital in New York City at 293 Central Park West between 89th and 90th Street. And I've, this is from the New York Times that I'm reading a lot of this stuff. So we'll include the, the link in the show notes. But basically what happened was they started to treat people. And what's interesting about this is the most famous patient of this method was William Griffith Wilson. Okay, that is, he's better known as Bill W. And he's the co-founder of AA or Alcoholics Anonymous. So in the thirties, he was like, just had tried everything. All right, he had tried everything. They were saying that he was just drinking tons and tons of stuff. He was very, very stuck. And he checked himself into this hospital. And the last time he drank was in this hospital when he was undergoing this treatment. And he was there at that town's hospital under the care of his physician, Dr. William Silkworth. And they put him under this treatment and he had his spiritual experience, his famous spiritual awakening. Okay. And that spiritual awakening is what led him to never drink again. All right. And that's, that's his own story and his own account. The interesting thing about this is that that spiritual awakening, according to that was in part caused by a hallucinogenic. And so this isn't like well-known in AA circles. I, I found that out almost accidentally. I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't well-known. And I have a close friend who's been 11 years in AA. And I just mentioned this offhandedly because I've been very interested in, in kind of all of these alternative sort of things and what this might mean. And there's a lot of research coming out about things like ketamine, which is another kind of hallucinogenic and how ketamine can work with depression and anxiety and all of these treatments. And I always just want to know all the things. So long story short, I had mentioned this and this friend was like, wait, uh, what? <laughs> That's not true. And, and she, you know, she didn't know this through AA. So it's not, I don't know if it's, it's meant to be a secret or if it's just something that, that people will think, well, okay, since we don't just have Belladonna handy, we might as well try to, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't claim to know. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make any sort of, um, give any sort of opinion there. But what I can say is that in my research, I find it fascinating that there could be with the largest kind of sobriety movement in the world, AA, uh, origin that came from hallucinogenics. So the first answer that I would give to this question is, huh, how interesting is that? And now that we're starting to look at stuff, not just in this like, oh, drugs and drugs are bad and, and these things are fine if they're legal drugs and all of this convoluted sort of, you know, paradigm that we've had around this. And we're starting to look at things substance by substance. Is this good? Is this useful? Can we study it? Can we see if it helps, right? Like we've, we've pretty definitively shown that certain substances help with certain medical ailments and certain substances don't. And so we're starting to explore all these things because we've declassified these substances from illegal and, and we're starting to classify them in a way that, that universities and researchers can start to dive into them. So I am wildly curious. I am, I am a big believer that, uh, you know, 
we should find out. And I think that there could be amazing, you know, progressive things that happen. One of the things that I understand in my research about how some of these medicines work, right, is that they actually take what's happening inside your brain. So if you think of your brain, your brain is you know, made up obviously of the gray matter. But in addition to that, there are structures that are created in the brain that are physical proteins along which your most common thoughts fire. So if you consider it this way, you can imagine it like this. Imagine that there's wilderness and that's the brain. The brain is just wilderness. And then you come into the world and you start to get indoctrinated and you start to have these patterns of thoughts. It's kind of like, constructing railroad tracks for different patterns of thoughts. Now, unfortunately, because the brain is created for survival and to avoid pain and to seek pleasure, a lot of those thoughts that we have in our society today are somewhat negative. And so you might have a, a railroad structure in your brain for the thought of, um, I can't figure this out, or I'm doing this wrong, or everybody else is better than me, or why am I so stupid? You know, all of these things that maybe we were told as a child that we've internalized, but we have these railroad structures in the brain of the thoughts that we think most often. One of the premises of this naked mind and why this naked mind is so incredibly successful is because these thoughts that we've thought about alcohol are actually on structures that we're like, hey, like that might not be true. You say you drink to relax. Let me show you all of the science that says that alcohol is really not relaxing. Alcohol actually releases cortisol in the body. That's the stress hormone. Let me show you all of this body of evidence. And by showing you this body of evidence, that, that railroad track you have in your brain that says, I need alcohol to relax. Alcohol relaxes me that you think and you're running that train all the time, right? Because that's just common. 80 to 90% of the thoughts you thought yesterday, you're thinking again today. So that railroad track, all of a sudden I present you with this alternate evidence and that track, you're like, huh, I might want to start picking apart this track. This track is starting to lose integrity. I can't really run my thinking on that track anymore without, it's like the evidence is almost like weeds overgrowing that track and take, claiming that back to like natural ground, because now guess what? I pour you a glass of wine to relax. You have overwhelming evidence that alcohol actually doesn't relax you. It is hard for you to think that thought. That thought can no longer run along that track. That track has been overgrown by new information, okay? Now, this is a very long-winded explanation to explain to you how I understand these plant-based and hallucinogenic-based medicines to work. If you think of it where we have all of these tracks, and these tracks, again, they're the proteins that cre created in our brains where the thinking that we do repeatedly runs. So the thoughts are the trains, the tracks are the physical structures in our brains, okay, in this analogy, all right? In hallucinogenic experiences, a lot of what happens is those tracks get pushed aside. And so those thoughts that we have deep ruts, we've thought this a million times, we're committed to this belief that we're committed to this thought, like I was to alcohol relaxes me, they get disrupted. How interesting is that? And so it becomes much easier to lay new track. And then we're not just we're not just using the track that might've gotten installed when we were kids. 
we're laying the track of the thoughts that we want to think and the things that we want to believe that serve us, that help us to feel better in our lives, that help us to behave better, to do what we want to do. We're laying that new track intentionally because we're adults now and we can choose. And so we can do that work without any other medicine. It just takes time and repetition. We have to learn new information. That new information kind of clears the way for, for a new track to be laid. Then we lay that track. We practice that new thought, right? But what I understand is that these hallucinogenic and plant-based medicines actually can deconstruct some of those tracks. How interesting is that? Another way that I've heard it described is if you imagine the ruts in your brain or the thoughts that you've thought repeatedly to be kind of like uh, if, if you ski, right? Like, so I ski and if you, if it's a powder day and you go up and it's sunny out, this is like terrible conditions. The powder starts to melt, it becomes icy. And then the first person to ski through that powder creates a rut, right? It creates like um, a sequence of, of turns through that snow and then it gets warm and then it freezes. And then now you have this like basically rut in the snow that's icy. And so if I'm trying to ski and I'm not skiing in that exact rut, it's hard. It's hard for me not, and I fall back into that rut. I will fall back into that rut. Moguls are actually just a great example of like ruts that other skis have created. So if you think of our brain, like we have a mogul field, we have thoughts and ruts that we have created over and over and over again over time. And if you think of how I understand and my research has shown me that these hallucinogenics work, it's kind of like a fresh snowfall over those ruts. So that when you ski again, you're not falling back as easily into those old, old patterns of thought. Now, I think where this medicine falls down is doing it without what's called integration. And integration is really all about, okay, so now you have this snowfall how do we set it up intentionally, therapeutically, so that you're creating the pathways in the snow, the pathways in your mind, the, the, the train tracks that you want, that are going to serve you well, that are going to give you the life that you really desire? And so the, the, the question is such a brilliant question for this day and age. The answer is, I'm wildly fascinated with all of this. And in keeping with my own premise of I'm going to research it and or do it myself. Um, I'm, I'm fully in the research right now. And, and I'm very much considering like, because I've, I've suffered from anxiety and depression since I was 19 years old. And so much of it has been made better with me just doing this thought work, like me manually going into my mind and uplifting these train tracks, right. And replacing them. But it's a lot, it's a lot of work and there's stuff that I can't even see that's stuck. And so I'm super curious about this for my own experience as well. And I'll, I'll certainly be documenting that as I go, should I decide to do some of these more intense things and, and explore that for myself. But I think that in general, it is wildly exciting to think about that new conversations could be opened up. And I think if we circle all the way back to the origin of the recovery sort of movement, it's very interesting that it, you know, AA really originated from what we could say is a hallucinogenic experience. And so I think it's all very, very fascinating. And um, yeah, great question.
Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer, then this course is for you. It includes lifetime access to six video modules, a bonus recorded Q&A session where I answer questions from parents live just like you, an interactive workbook, and our private and exclusive How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation. Visit talktoyourkidsaboutalcohol.com to learn more and enroll today. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.